good morning, church. Like I said, I'm Amy. Excuse me. My name is Brant. Can't get those words out. I'm not supposed to talk all day today. My name is Brant. Um, I'm actually the teaching and creative pastor here. And uh, just because uh, he's here, I want to especially welcome Pastor Ben Wolf, our brand new youth pastor. Go ahead and give him a round of applause. That's really awesome. This is his first Sunday officially with us. And then speaking of pastors, I also want to just uh, encourage you guys to be praying for Pastor Jeff, our senior pastor, and his wife, Denise, who has a brand new hip. And uh, so Pastor Jeff is at home caring for her um, right now. So good morning, Pastor Jeff, while you're watching. Um, we're praying for you guys. There's a few things happening today. We talked about a bunch of stuff happening this week. Um, just today, right after this service, at the beginning of the second service, we're going to have a baptism. We encourage the first service to stick around for that. It's just right at the beginning of the second service. Um, and then after our second service today, we've got a church picnic to celebrate just the beautiful spiritual life that God has given to our church family as a whole. Again, we'd encourage you to come back for that um, or stick around for it um, as well. Tonight, there's a worship night for youth and young adults over at the youth center at 6 o'clock. So there's a lot of stuff happening, um, but uh, it's just such a blessing to be part of what God is doing in and through this body of believers, this local church. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's an honor to be in front of you this morning presenting the word. I will say this, before I jump into the message this morning, the passage we're reading through in the book of Judges is not G-rated, okay? So if you want to be sensitive for little ears, this is just your warning. I'm not going to elaborate on that particular section of the passage, but I am going to read it because I do not believe in apologizing for God. Amen? So, um, just a heads up, a little sensitivity warning. Somewhere in the middle of the message, we're going to be reading a passage that's not G-rated. So I would encourage you, would you pray for me as I'm preaching this morning? With that being said, let's just go ahead and jump into prayer and we'll dive in. Jesus, I pray this morning that your words would speak through me this morning, that um, you would divinely anoint my lips to say what you need to be saying, and that in your word you would reveal yourself, you would reveal your heart, you would reveal your goodness and your greatness to us today. We pray this in your mighty, eternal, all-knowing, all-loving name, Jesus. Amen. Question for you. Have you ever had the chance to experience something, something amazing, and you turned it down, and now you regret it? Anyone ever had that opportunity before? You're like, I wish I did not turn that opportunity down. I remember when I was in college, I took a mission trip to support a local church with some students at Moody Bible Institute. We took a trip to England to support a local church there and work with them and do some missions work with them. And it was an amazing experience. I'm not going to focus on that part of the story. It was a wonderful time. But um, I'm a big soccer fan. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a big soccer fan, and one of the best soccer leagues in the world is in England, the English Premier League. And my favorite team is a team named Everton. It's beside the point. I'll get to it, though. Um, we had an amazing week, and one of the days we were at, on this mission trip, one of the host home that we were staying at had some Everton fans, and they suggested, hey, the local... Um, team is playing. Let's go watch them at the stadium. It's a home game, and they're playing one of the biggest teams in the world, Manchester City. 
And so I was like, oh man, this is so exciting. And my heart was racing and everything inside of me wanted to go, yes. And then I realized that the price tag for the ticket was 65 pounds, which at the time, or no, it was 50 pounds, which at the time was about $65. And I look back now and I go, dude, yeah, it's a little pricey for a ticket, but spend the money, go to the game. You'll, you'll never be able to do this again. And yet, my little broke college kid wallet was like, ouch, ouch, I can't handle that. That's half of your trip money. You've got to get home somehow. And so I decided not to go to the game. We went out on the town, did something else instead. And later that evening, when we sat down to watch the highlights of the game, there was a certain part of my heart that was just leaping with joy and a certain part of my heart that was absolutely just groveling in the grave because my team, this tiny, small-town, local, red, like uh, blue-collar team, like toppled the international champions 2-0, to zero, and they dominated the whole entire game. Guys, I think we've beat that team one time since then. And it was such... It was such a, I was, I was just like, how could I have been so boring to just turn down the opportunity to go to this game? How, I was crushed. I wish I could have turned back time. And that was over a decade ago, and I'm still trying to get over it. I was offered this amazing experience, but I did not receive it. The opportunity was there, and I turned it down, and, and as a result... I never got to experience that victory, you know, kind of supporting my team there, and I only can watch it on YouTube now. Here's my point. Each one of us has a divine calling. It's an opportunity given by God to become all that he's made us for, to do all that he's designed us for. But between us and that calling are loads of obstacles yeah, God's called you to something amazing, but he also knows that it's not supposed to be easy. It's not all flowers and rainbows and pixie dust. And the challenge is this, that a lot of us miss out on these opportunities to experience the call of God, to experience all that he's made us for. A lot of us miss out on those opportunities and we turn them down because they're disguised as obstacles. God might be calling you to something of a challenge. God might be calling you to something scary or beyond where you're currently at in your life right now. And God knows exactly what he's doing. The obstacle is the opportunity to turn you into an overcomer and thus much more prepared to live up to the life he's, he's designed you for. The, op- the obstacles are opportunities from God to turn you into an overcomer, but a lot of us miss out on those opportunities because they come disguised as obstacles. So the question becomes, how do we embrace the divine opportunities that God has made us for? How do we overcome the obstacles to embrace everything he designed us for? Which is a great question that I'm glad you asked. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, we're in a series called God to the Rescue as we're looking at God's activity with his people through the book of Judges. Before we get into the text of Judges chapter 4, I want to read you some context. I want to help you understand why there are still rival nations 
in the amazing land that God has promised to his people. You need to see why God left obstacles in the way of this divine opportunity called the promised land. Judges chapter 3, if you just quickly turn back, these are the nations that the Lord, this is Judges 3 verse 1, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this, why? To teach warfare to the generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. So God intentionally chose not to intervene in a miraculous way so that his people would learn warfare. He, he, he wasn't cold. He wasn't callous by refusing divine intervention. He was fathering them into greater strength. Right? They needed to develop that strength through the struggle. God was teaching them how to be strong. Can I say this over some of you? What might seem like God's ignorance in your life may possibly be God's instruction. In other words, God doesn't always deliver you from every enemy. Why? Because sometimes you just need to learn how to fight. Sometimes you need to develop a little resilience. Sometimes you need a backbone. Sometimes God needs to produce something in you instead of just give it to you. And all the while, it's not like he's left them. He's fathering them. And so what might seem like God's ignorance may actually just be God's instruction in your life. Now, as God was gradually giving victory to his people in the land, one of the kingdoms that was yet to fall was the powerful kingdom of Hazor, which is on the northern side of Israel, right above the Sea of Galilee. And um, so Judges chapter 4, verse 1, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Haguyim. And Sisera had 900 iron chariots, which was like obsequious power in that time. You need to understand that. Like 900 iron chariots was invincible in this day and age. And he ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So Hatzor lay along this international trade route, was by far the largest and most important city in the area, in the land of Canaan at the time. And so it was actually a city-state. It was, it was a kingdom that was based out of one particular city. And because it was the largest and most important city, it had the most feared army in the time. Not only because of the iron chariots, which were invincible in battle, but the highly trained army, who at, up until this point were undefeated in battle. And now the people of Israel are being oppressed by Jabin, the king of Hazor, and Sisera, his commander and army. And so we're going to read this together. If you, if you have your Bibles, join me in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. If you don't, it's okay, we have it on the screen, but I'd encourage you to bring your Bible to church. We'd love to get you one, by the way, if you don't have one. But let's go ahead and join together, stand together, and we're going to read Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It goes like this. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. 
One day she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And all the women in the house said, All right, you guys can have a seat. Man, say a louder for the people in the back. Um, Barak turned down this opportunity to be this warrior leader for God. And this is actually the crisis moment in the story. The crisis moment, as we're reading this story, is not that Sisera is attacking Israel or oppressing Israel. No, 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 because that's been happening for years. That's been happening for, what, 20 years? And so the, the crisis is in this particular narrative is actually that what God has called Barak up to, he's said, yeah, but. He's, he's, he's got a okay, but kind of faith. And, and so Deborah says, okay, but here's what you will receive instead. You will get the victory, but you will not get the honor because God will bring the victory through the hands of a woman. And so Barak raises up this army of 10,000 warriors, just as God commands, and Deborah tags along for moral support. Then the interesting thing is, in verse 11, you actually get a little bit of foreshadowing of this divine appointment. There's, there's a little clue that God's been up to something the whole time, because there's this guy named Heber who decides to kind of go off the grid and live away from it all. And you're like, that's random. What, what is verse 11 doing there? Right? But then you jump back into the story, and Sisera's terrifying army sets their sight on total demolition of Barak's army, and they're getting closer, and they're getting closer. In verse 14, then Deborah says to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down to the slope of Mount Tabor into battle. And when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. And Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. And then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harasheth Hagayim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. And not a single one was left alive. And so even though his army is totally humiliated, embarrassed, defeated, uh, Sisera thinks he's being smart by honey, uh, running to hide in obscurity. However, he runs right into the middle of God's plan. He seeks shelter in Heber's house, off the grid. He thinks he's being smart. He's drawn into a false sense of safety as Heber's wife, J.L., comes out and gives him this amazing welcome, uh, just brings him in, awesome hospitality. But all the while, her sense of trust in God has been growing stronger so that in one moment, she was ready to take a step of faith. Her first reaction was to rise up and take action for God. And so the moment 
trigger warning, by the way. The moment that Sisera falls asleep, verse 21, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand, and she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. And when Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. And she said, come, and I'll show you the man you're looking for. And she f- So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So Jael kills Sisera. Then, he shows off, then she shows off the defeat to Barak, the, the defeat that she accomplished, right? And then the story told here is that God brought about a victory through her and set up peace for the next 40 years. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this narrative in the book of Judges. First, I hope you've noticed by now, this is not actually about Deborah. And I really struggled to find a commentary that said so, but I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling, I'm reading through the story, and I'm going like, it's not about her. It's not. She is just the frame within which God has set this story. She's the one delivering his words. She's the one at the beginning and at the end. And God is using her time period of judging Israel as, as a reference point to illustrate what's actually happening here, what he's doing and how he's interacting with humanity. But it's not about her. God speaks to her to invite Barak to become a warrior. Second, it's not actually necessary for God to use this particular human to fight his battles, right? He went ahead of the army anyways and did that all by himself. He caused the army of Sisera to just fall into total chaos and they killed themselves and they thought that they were like, they were being attacked and they weren't. It was God going before. So God doesn't need this particular human to fight his battles. But in God's divine providence and grace, God was extending an offer to call Barak up to a higher level. However, in his hesitation, in his reticence, Barak turned down the opportunity to be the warrior God made him to be. Okay, so so God sees this all in advance. He he knows everything that he's going to do. He knows everything that he can do And he doesn't need Barak. He doesn't need Deborah. He doesn't need Jael. And yet, he says, hey, hey, Deborah, go call Barak up to a higher level. Go call him to be somebody that I'm creating him to be as well. But as he turns this down, God goes, okay, I'll just work with the next person, who is Jael. Now, it's interesting, if you read through chapter 5, which I'm not really going to dive into that much, but if you read through chapter 5, which is a song about this narrative, um, it tells us that only the tribes of Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh and Zebulun and Issachar and Naphtali fought with Barak against the enemy. If you'll notice, that's not 12 tribes. In fact, um, Reuben, Gad, Dan, and Asher are actually rebuked for their apathy and their absence. God was saying, Barak is kind of like a type or a symbol of the rest of Israel, In that sense, where he's calling Israel up, and yet there are a number of them that were like, nah, I'm not sure, I'm not going to join in, I I don't really, I'm I'm not part of this. And they hesitated long enough where God was like, your apathy and your absence are are, are deplorable. And And he rebukes them. And that's kind of where Barak started. And yet, the interesting thing 
is that's not where Barak ended. And so God sees this, and he's, he's, he's calling Barak to be a warrior for his kingdom. But here's the thing. God can't make a warrior out of someone who resists going to war. Um, the honor of winning battles with God went to the person who was willing to follow him by faith. And so I think, here's what I think God is trying to show us in this narrative. That he'll often put something really challenging or scary in front of us as a way to teach us how to overcome and grow in our capacity to be used by him for his kingdom purposes. Or you could say it this way, uh, daunting obstacles are divine opportunities to create daring overcomers. Obstacles are the opportunities from God to create an overcomer in you. Right, think about it. You can't be an overcomer if you've got nothing to overcome. And you can't overcome something if there's never an obstacle. Daunting obstacles are divine opportunities to create daring overcomers. The challenge is to recognize those obstacles for what they are. It's actually a beautiful gift from God. It's an invitation from God. A divine appointment with opportunity. And so when you shy away from that obstacle, you'll often miss the opportunity. God's call to lead Barak into war against Sisera was an invitation to be the warrior that, God need, that, that the people needed to, to lead them out of bondage and oppression. And see, God might be calling you to something of a challenge too. There's something scary, something beyond yourself, where, you, where you're currently at. And you've got hesitations. You've got a long list of reasons or excuses why you're not the person he really needs. And a lot of times they have to do with our comfortability that just seems a little too much for me right now. It might have to do with our capability. I don't think I'm able to do that, God. I'm not there yet. They might have to do with our connections. I, I don't know the right people. What happens if I step out? Is anyone really going to trust me? They might have to do with our creativity. Like I can't come up with the things that are needed to pull that off. They might have to do with even our cash flow. Like God, I don't have enough resources for that. I, maybe someday when I'm rich and famous, maybe someday when I get a little bit more to my name, but I'm just struggling to make ends meet right now. I'm, I'm paycheck to paycheck, or maybe I'm not even that. And it's like, guys, I, I don't have the resources to be effective for your kingdom right now. You need more than what I have. Might have to do with your character even. Like, I can't use somebody like me. Like, maybe once I clean up my life, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, somebody tell me, man, if I ever step foot in your church, the building will burn down. I'm like, you think that's how God works? Try reading the Bible for once. Like, it's filled with loads of people who did not have their act cleaned up, and God in His divine grace said, let me use you. Why? So that I look good. Not, not so that we look good. That is the backdrop against which God's glory is set. It's what makes him look so great at times is the fact that he would use even someone like you. So don't count yourself out because of your comfort or your capability or your connections or your creativity or your cash flow or your character. God is calling you to this because he's conscious of his own capacity, right? The truth is that that's the only factor that really matters. God is able and he wants to use you. Daunting obstacles are actually divine opportunities to create the overcomer in you.
God loves to call you to something bigger than you're able to handle on your own. It's, it's, it's a space where God is needed for you to succeed. It's not that he needs you. He wants to raise you up. And I love this about the heart of God. Notice this. Somehow, in his tiny faith, Barak actually continued to limp toward what God had promised and believe that somehow God would remain faithful. Like, he, he cowered in fear at first. He had okay, but faith. But he continued to pursue the enemy all the way to the end. If you notice, when Sisera is dead, Barak shows up. He, he, he kept pursuing the enemy all the way to the end. And he got to see the kingdom overthrown. And though we don't see much faith in Barak in this narrative... God did. And this is how I know. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. If you're not familiar with the beautiful chapter of Hebrews 11, some people call it the Faith Hall of Fame. It's just an amazing chapter of Bible heroes who all live their lives by faith. And, and for verse after verse after verse, it just, just describes so many people who were honored and commended by God for their faith. And we get to verse 32. Hebrews 11:32. What more, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flame of the fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. As we read Judges 4, we see like J.L. saw a divine opportunity and took it and God honored her for it. Uh, and and Barak saw Deborah's faith right, and was inspired by it and God used her through it. God also saw Barak's faith and honored it. Because even after faltering in the beginning, he saw the promise of God and got back to the pursuit. The daunting obstacle in Barak's way was actually this divine opportunity to create a daring overcomer who would lead Israel into 40 years of peace. And the daunting obstacle in your way is also a divine opportunity to creating a daring overcomer who's going to lay hold of everything that God has called you to. But the challenge is this, it's going to be easy to turn down that opportunity. Why? It's going to be easy to turn down the wonderful provisions God brings you. Why? Because oftentimes there's a big old obstacle in the way. There's a big problem standing between you and the provision. So how do you embrace God's divine opportunities? How do you overcome the obstacles and embrace everything he's designed you for? Well, as I, as I read in our text this morning, I think I see three ways, um, three ways to be a daring overcomer. The first way is to overcome in your first reaction. Overcome in your first reaction. I want to encourage you to be like jail and to see that the challenge that God has placed in front of you or maybe it's the command that he's given you or the word he's spoken over you, but to see it as an opportunity for God to prove himself, right? And then in faith, Charge straight towards that obstacle, knowing that if God led you to it, 
He's going to lead you through it. Don't hesitate in doubt. Move in faith. Can I encourage some weary hearts this morning that if God said it, He's going to do it. If God promised it, He's going to provide it, whether in this earth or in paradise. If God brought you here, He's going to bless you here. Some way, somehow, if God releases you from this, He won't leave you hanging forever, but He will reveal Himself again. So don't wait wait to make God prove Himself to you, right? Believe what He said and act on it. That's the kind of faith that Jael had. She had a, a right-away faith. And she was an overcomer in her first in her first reaction. So number one, overcome in your first reaction. The second thing I want to encourage you with is to overcome in your faithful repetition. Overcome in your first reaction. Overcome in your faithful repetition. If you do believe God to this level, live it out. Walk it out day after day after day. Be like Deborah and put feet to your faith over the long haul of the years and the decades of your life. I love how Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says, faith is measured by your feet, not your feelings. It's measured by what you do, not by what you say you're going to do. One of the best ways to determine if you really have as much faith as you think you do is to observe how you respond when stuff goes south or when life goes sideways. When it seems that the world itself has chosen to collapse on top of you all at once, causing you to face a compounding level of issues, it is then that you will be able to judge your authentic level of faith by the choices you make and the responses you display. Deborah put feet to her faith. Over the years, it became obvious that there was a track record she had established. There was an inspiring reputation of faith that she had developed. How do I know this? Barak, going into the biggest challenge of her life, picked one name to follow him into that battle. The person that he knew was closest to God. It was Deborah. And, and here's where I need to speak to a lot of Christians today. This is not the kind of faith that is personal and private. This is not the, oh, it's just between me and God kind of faith. Okay? Deborah's faith was public. It was pervasive. In other words, everyone can see it. It inspired everyone around her. Live with this kind of faith. Don't keep it to yourself. Speak it out. Live it out. Give it out. No matter the obstacle you face throughout your lifetime, make a faith-filled resolution to be an overcomer, and you will overcome in your faithful repetitions. Guys, this is sometimes, maybe you might think of it as boring faith. You know what the Bible calls boring, day after day, not Instagram worthy, show up and keep showing up, never give up, stick with it faith? The Bible calls that faithfulness. And it's a fruit that grows from your life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how often I feel like waking up early to read my Bible or praying or forgiving my neighbor or loving my kids or serving my wife or sharing the gospel with my unsaved friends or generously giving to my local church or to missionaries or to kids raising money for their band or tipping the barista or the waitress more than 20%. I'll tell you this, I don't feel like it as often as I do it. 
I'm committed to doing these things regardless of whether I feel like them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is alive and active in me, changing me on a small, micro, rarely noticeable, every single day level. And and, and out of these tiny, incremental, faithful moments of overcoming, the fruit of this is faithfulness, and I see God beginning to advance His kingdom step by step. There are some fruits of the Spirit, there, there are some manifestations and, and evidence of God working in people's life that's just like mind-blowing and miraculous and huge, but did you know one-third of the fruits of the Spirit you cannot be able to notice in someone's life until you see their life over the long haul? Patience, faithfulness, and self-control. Sometimes being filled with the Spirit also looks like just showing up and staying faithful and not giving up and faithfully repeating the thing that you are obeying God in day after day after day. It's not the I go to church when I feel like it faith. It's the my feelings will catch up eventually, but I will be faithful in this repetition. And I want to encourage you to be like Deborah, to have a faithful, repetitious kind of faith. So number one, overcome in your first reaction number two overcome in your faithful repetition and number three overcome in your faltering response here's the beautiful thing about the bible it's not first reaction jl or faithful repetition deborah who are mentioned in the faith hall of fame it's faltering response barak hebrews 11 is saying god is even pleased with faith like barak's in other words, when you, you make God happy, you make God proud when you pursue his promise, even after hesitating at first. Even when you have okay but kind of faith, but you still keep going, God says, I'm happy with that because you are still believing. Even if you've got tiny faith, as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is purpose for your life, if God kept you alive this long, guys, you've got to believe he's done so for a very good reason. And so even if you don't feel that strong or faithful or useful, lean on God's grace to get back up and keep pursuing what he's called you to do. Don't give up because your first reaction was that of doubt or disbelief or distraction or denial. Don't check out now just because you don't have as good of a track record as the person next to you. Today, today is a good day to walk in purpose. Amen? Today is always a good day to walk in purpose. You can still overcome, even after your faltering response. And this is the testimony of faltering response, Barak. By faith, he overthrew a kingdom, received what God had promised him, his weakness was turned to strength, he became strong in battle and put a whole army to flight. And we will read that for all of eternity in Hebrews 11. So how do you embrace God's divine opportunities for your life? How do you live a life of purpose and calling, following God everywhere? Number one, you overcome in your first reaction. Number two, you overcome in your faithful repetition. And number three, you, you even overcome in your faltering response. Because these obstacles that God will set up in your life or allow in your life, the daunting obstacles are just divine opportunities to create a daring overcomer in you for his glory, and to advance his kingdom. Let's pray.
Jesus, I, I pray that you would create a resilience, an internal strength that is built on you inside of us. That you would create a generation of overcomers starting here, starting with me, starting with us. Lord, I pray that we would not give up because our first reaction was that of doubt or disbelief or distraction. God, I pray that we would not be people who check out because our repetitions haven't been as faithful as maybe somebody else we know. God, I pray that today would be a day of faith for every single one of us, that that word you've spoken over us, that calling you've put on our life, that divine purpose that that we see set before us and the word we've heard from you, God, I pray that we would pursue that in faith. And even after our faltering response, God, give us the resilience to get back up and keep pursuing you. Lord, we need your spirit to empower us in this. We need your grace over our whole life. Jesus, please get the glory from our lives. Amen.